So in preparation for this service, I had originally put together an entire sermon from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And so as I went this past week to sort of open it up, just to kind of put the sort of endings on it, to study it, to be ready, I opened it up and maybe the other pastors have experienced this. Maybe if you've prepared a lesson for teaching, you've experienced this. I opened it up and I just went, nope, nope, this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't what I'm supposed to preach this week. And so in those moments, I'm so thankful God is with us. So I just went, okay, Holy Spirit, what should I teach on? And I heard him simply whisper into my heart, the church, the church. And so I pressed in a little bit with the Holy Spirit. And as I pressed in, I felt him pointing me to some verses that I had actually previously taught on about two years ago here. And I felt like what he was telling me is that two years ago, I planted a seed with that teaching, but it was now time to teach on these verses once again, because that seed was now ready to sprout and grow, and that this message on the church was to catapult us into the new year and what God wants to do. So I tucked that other sermon away, and I jumped into these other verses, and as I did, you would never expect it. It made perfect sense. God really knows what he's doing. It made perfect sense because this message really serves as the perfect part two to the sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago on the 17th around God's intentions for Christ and his kingdom. So let me just kind of give us a quick recap. In that sermon, we looked at the verses in Isaiah who prophesied that the Messiah would come and would establish a government that would have no end to its increase. And we looked at Christ's earthly ministry and we saw how this same idea around the Messiah establishing a government was further defined and demonstrated in the life of Christ with his overarching message around the kingdom of God. And so God's intentions that we saw were for the Messiah, Jesus, to come to this earth to bring and to establish an ever-increasing kingdom that is to advance into all of the earth. Ever-increasing. I want to get that as part of Bethel's vocabulary. God's intentions are for an ever-increasing kingdom to be established in this earth. And so we saw that God's original commission that was given to Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth was renewed in the Great Commission where Jesus told us to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And so today what we will do is we will dive into this idea of the church to see God's intentions for us and how we play our part in this. See, in a similar manner, what we talked about on the 17th is that it is vital that we understand God's intentions that are revealed in his word. I want you to imagine for a second that you're trying to participate in a sport for which you don't know the rules or the objective of what you are trying to accomplish. Anybody ever do that? Gym class, you get thrown into something, you don't know exactly what's going on, you just try to make it look like you do. So what happens in that situation doesn't go very well. And when you, and when you don't know what the intentions are for that sport, you're not gonna do very good at it. You're not gonna accomplish all that much. When you don't grasp or understand the rules and the intricacies of a sport, you're not going to be successful at that sport. This truth applies equally in our Christian walk because the Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
which implies the inverse of that, that ignorance of the truth will actually leave you in bondage. What that means is if we don't grasp a particular truth of God's word or we don't fully grasp that truth, then the power of that truth won't be fully realized in our lives. And what's even worse is if we believe something that isn't true, if we actually believe something that's a lie, then we empower the liar to have influence in our lives where he shouldn't have any. Come on, this is a big problem I believe in the church today. I believe there are a lot of lies masquerading as truth in the church today that are holding the church back from her calling and destiny. When you believe the lie, you've empowered the liar himself to have influence in your life, and he should not have any. So we're going to look at a pretty familiar section of scripture, and it's one where I believe the full truth is often missed, and because it has been missed, we haven't been positioned to fully experience that truth for the church. And so we're going to dive in, because I believe that an understanding of the full truth will open the door and position us to see that truth manifest in our lives and in this community. And we will see what we are called to as the church as we move forward into a brand new year. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them open to Matthew chapter 16. They're up here on the screen. We're going to read verses 13 to 19. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is an often taught on, often quoted set of verses. And I fear that sometimes when you teach on verses that we've heard so many times, you kind of have this tendency to maybe just sort of zone out. Like, I've heard this before. I know what's going on. So I want to give you permission right now to go ahead and poke that person beside you. Give them a little gentle poke. Just make sure that they are fully engaged and paying attention today. All right, so here's the context for these verses. It says that Jesus and his disciples came to the region of Caesarea Philippi which is the key to understanding everything that follows. And yet this statement is very easy to gloss over or not truly consider when interpreting these verses. And we'll discuss that in a little bit. We'll make some sense of that. And so Jesus and his disciples, they arrive in the region of Caesarea Philippi and Jesus starts this teaching moment with a question. He asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples immediately start quoting everything that they've heard in the day. They say, Jesus, some people say you're John the Baptist or Elijah, Jeremiah, or some sort of prophet. And so what we see immediately is that a lot of people really hadn't grasped who Jesus truly was. But really this question wasn't asked so much for Jesus to get the latest gossip, 
but it was asked because he wanted to set the stage for the next question that he was going to ask them. And then Jesus then asked them the single most important question that any person will ever answer in their lives. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? That is the single most important question that any one of us will ever answer in our lives because it affects both our life and the outcome for all of eternity. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to this church? Who is he to us today? Now, in this context and in these verses, as we would probably expect, guess who speaks up? Peter. Gotta love Peter, man. I love Peter. I really do. And we give Peter a lot of grief, and we love to point out all of the times that Peter messes up and falls flat on his face. You hear that all the time. But we need to give Peter some credit here because Peter absolutely nails it. And he receives revelation directly from the Father. And that revelation is that Jesus is far greater than what these other people are saying. Jesus is the Messiah. Not only is he the Messiah, he is the Son of God. And now here's where we really need to focus in. Because this next chunk of scripture is so rich in meaning and purpose, but it has a lot of wordplay going on. And we need to grasp that if we want to get the fullness of this teaching. And so Jesus replies to him. He says, blessed are you, Simon. Simon means one who heard. And then he says, I call you Peter. Peter means rock. So Simon lives up to his name as one who hears, and he receives a revelation about who Jesus is. And because he has received this revelation around the greatness of Jesus, that he's not just a prophet, but he is the very son of God, he is now prepared to understand who he is. And so Jesus says, Peter, you're a rock. See, if you want to know who you are, what you are created for, you first have to know who Jesus truly is. If you want to know the calling on your life, you need to know who Jesus is. Because the revelation of who we are can only come from first having a revelation of who he is because the calling on each of our lives is so big and eternally significant that we must first grasp the immensity of the power of the one who is eternal. The calling on your life is eternally significant. Colossians 3.3 says our life is hidden with Christ. Meaning if you want to know who you are, it's only found in first knowing who he is. See, it's no wonder that the world and even many believers seem so lost. It's because they're trying to find who they are outside of knowing who he is. But creation can never understand what it's created for outside of knowing the creator. And we have a world of people that are just running around trying to understand who they are. But the Bible says, if you want to know who you are, you first need to understand who he is. See, we as believers, we as a church need to grasp the overwhelming greatness of our God if we are going to do all that he has called us to do. See, each one of us has a calling on our lives to impact what will last for all of eternity. I want us all to leave here today recognizing that fact that your life and the way you live it impacts what will last forever. 
And it could be in a positive way as we serve the Lord and we do what he's called us to do. But it could also be in a very negative way if we don't step up and be everything that he created us to be. See, if what you believe is the calling on your life isn't bigger than what you can accomplish through your own strength, I wanna encourage you to press in for something bigger today because we serve an overwhelmingly amazing God. If the calling that we see for this church doesn't terrify us and scare us a little bit, then we need to press in and get a greater revelation because God is calling us to greater things than what we can even imagine. See, this is what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. He is making sure that the disciples understand exactly who he is. He's making sure that they don't see him as just another prophet, as just a good teacher, as a good man. He is making sure that the disciples understand that he is God himself, God in the flesh. He is the omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful one. And the reason he is doing that is because he goes on to release what I believe is the most powerful sequence of truth in all of the Bible for the calling on the church. And Jesus tells them this, He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. All right, so here's where I need you to really focus in with me this morning. All right, really focus in because I propose to you that the way these verses are sometimes interpreted is not fully grasping what Christ is saying. And if we don't grasp that full truth of what he's saying, then we won't be able to walk in the fullness of that truth. See, I propose to you this morning that the rock upon which Christ said he would build his church and the gates of Hades are actually one and the same. Now, this may be a little bit different than what you have been taught or what you've heard. There are two other ways that people will typically translate this verse. So some people, they teach it this way. They say that when Jesus says, upon this rock, he's referring to Peter, right? In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, You're a rock, and upon you, I will build my church. In other words, Peter, as a leader of the early church, is a rock upon which the church will be built. Now, this has some validity because Paul would teach in Ephesians 2 that God was building his house on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But I don't think that is what Christ was saying, nor does the original language in the Greek actually lend itself to that interpretation. Now, others teach it this way. This is probably one of the more common ways that this is taught. Other people teach that the rock is Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, you are Peter, you're a rock. And then upon this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church. Now, I believe there's some validity to that as well, because Jesus is obviously the foundation of everything. That same verse in Ephesians says that Christ is a cornerstone. But I actually believe there's a third way of interpreting this verse which is the one that best fits the context, has historical backing, and is actually the most valid. And when you understand it, it unlocks an amazing truth that can be easily missed. All right, you still with me? You good? All right, so earlier I said that the fact that they traveled to Caesarea Philippi was the key in understanding these verses. So let me give you a quick history lesson. Caesarea Philippi was a city around 120 miles north of Jerusalem, about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, where much of Jesus' ministry was done. Now, at the time of Christ, this city was one of those places that a good Jew would never travel to. 
Never. In a million years, a good Jew would never travel to the region of Caesarea Philippi. It was completely off limits. And the reason is because Caesarea Philippi was a hotbed for pagan worship and idolatry. It was a place they would just never go because the entire city was steeped in idolatry and paganism and everything that goes with it. And yet these verses tell us that Jesus intentionally travels there with his disciples, which is an amazing statement in and of itself of what Christ was ushering in with the new covenant. See, in the old covenant time, sin was to be avoided. In the new covenant time, sin was to be confronted and conquered. Understand Jesus, just by traveling there with his disciples, is making this incredible statement of the shift that was now happening between old covenant and new. He is saying that now we don't need to just try to stay away and run from sin and darkness, but I'm ushering something into this world where you can go forth and you can confront it. I'm bringing something new to this world where you don't run from sin and darkness, but you confront it and you conquer it head on. And that is why I brought you here. So let's go a little bit deeper. Jesus takes his disciples onto a field trip to Caesarea Philippi. And in that city, amongst all the idolatry of the city, there was a main attraction. It was a massive rock ledge that was called the Rock of the Gods. Do we have that picture? Oh, there it is. Good job. I love it. So in that city, this is in the city of Caesarea Philippi, this was the main attraction. It was the Rock of the Gods. The Rock of the Gods. Now, at the time of Christ, it would have looked like this. Can we pop that next slide up? There we go. Might be a little hard to see, but at the time of Christ, this is what that rock ledge looked like. On the far left, you'll see that there was a temple that was built to Caesar, where Caesar worship took place. Beside it, there was a temple built to the Greek god Pan, who was a Greek goat god. And that is all built by that cave opening that you saw on the previous slide. Now, at these temples, what you would see is that you would have worship to Caesar as a god. You had human sacrifices taking place. And you had all sorts of detestable acts at the temple for Pan, including prostitution and lewd acts between humans and goats. Understand, this is some darkness. This is a really bad place. Now, the belief of the world at that time was that the rock of the gods was a doorway to the underworld. That cave opening was referred to as the gates of Hades. So follow with me here. We have the rock of the gods that contained an opening called the gates of Hades at this location. And that is why I proposed to you this morning that when Jesus says this rock where he would build his church in the gates of Hades, he is referring to one and the same thing. See, this verse is best interpreted as Jesus saying, Peter, you are a rock. And then on this rock, pointing to the rock of the gods, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, still pointing to this exact same thing, will not overcome it. See, what Jesus is showing his disciples is that his plan and his intention for the church is that they would go forth to the very darkest places, the very strongholds of hell, and through the power of the Holy Spirit would bring victory to those very places. The very strongholds of hell would be displaced and overcome by God's people. 
and Christ would build his church right on top of what was once the very stronghold of Satan. The thing that put fear into the hearts of God's people and would have been avoided at all costs is now the very target of what they will defeat. That rock, that stronghold of the enemy, the very gates of Hades will become the new building grounds of Christ's church. See, we are called to storm the very gates of hell. It is an offensive picture, not a defensive one. See, Christ said he would build his church. The very act of building implies expansion. We talked about that on the 17th. See, we must identify the very strongholds of the enemy, and then we must go and take the battle to them with the promise that Christ will build his church directly on top of them. See, we are never called to simply hold our ground. We are called to take ground from the enemy. See, that is why it's so important to truly understand these verses. Because as these verses are typically interpreted, people say, oh, well, Jesus is the rock upon which he builds his church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, he's building this church, and then the gates of Hades are coming against us, and we're just pushing back. But when you interpret this verse correctly, what you see is we see that this rock, the very strongholds of hell, are what we are going out after. We are on the offensive, and we are going to go identify every area of darkness, and we are going to bring the kingdom to it. And Christ will build his church right on top of them. See, when we get these verses backwards, we often picture the church under siege. And we see the church like this castle and it's under siege and it's being attacked by the the church's enemies and we're just sort of holding on. But this is the exact opposite picture because this verse teaches that it's actually the strongholds of the enemy that are under siege and the enemy is trying to hold off God's people coming to tear them down. This is done through the advancement of God's kingdom and the building and expansion of God's people through the church. So now let's understand that. The English word church, it comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Now this was originally a Greek word that was adopted by the Romans, and it referred to an assembly of people with governmental authority. Now a lot of people, they'll water that, verse, they'll water that word down, and they'll be like, oh, it just refers to a gathering. But the original usage of that word was a gathering of people that had governmental authority. What is really interesting in these verses is that Jesus did not say, I will build my temple or I will build my synagogue, which would have been terminology that would have been much more easily understood by the disciples who would have been more familiar with those religious buildings of the day. But rather, Christ chose this Greek term that was adopted by the Romans because he wasn't saying that he would build a bunch of buildings where God's people would meet. He was saying he would build a body of believers carrying his very power and authority to go forth into the world to displace the very powers of darkness. See, the church can never be limited to a building where we just meet. The church is Christ's governmental body, carrying his power, carrying his full authority, and we're called to go forth into the world, bringing with us the transformational power of Christ's kingdom. See, Christ building his church is to fulfill the Father's intentions of redemption and restoration and transformation, the advancement of his kingdom that we spoke of a couple weeks ago. Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, not disciples just in, but of all nations. 
See, the church needs to think bigger today because if you read Psalm 2, it tells us that Jesus, the Messiah, died to receive nations as his inheritance. He died to receive nations as his inheritance, not just a few people in each nation. Now, I'm not standing here before you today saying that every single person in nations are going to be saved. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the influence of God's kingdom, his government, his authority, and his church should be paramount. It should be operating. It should be advancing in every single nation. Now, I know this is a challenging thought to many today because we've been taught so many other things. See, people may say, I don't believe the church can win nations for Christ. And we won't if we continue to believe that way. Because everything is received by faith. Faith is built on belief. We will never receive something that we first don't believe for. But if we believe Jesus at his word, the church can rise up in faith to play our part in seeing this done. See, here's a problem that I kind of see in the church today. See, the church needs to learn to understand the difference between a problem and the solution. See, the church has a PhD in identifying problems, but we often flunk out of grade school when it comes to the solution. Let me help you understand what I mean here. The modern church loves to quote left and right, up and down, over and over and over again. Oh, in the last days, there's going to be difficult times and problems. And then we spend hours pointing out every single problem that we see in society. Now, the Bible does say that, but think with me for a moment here. I want you to imagine getting a math problem for homework. And I know some of you hate math. How many people just hate math? I know I do this to you all the time because I like math, so it just kind of comes to me. But imagine getting a math problem. I know some of you are like, man, we really are worried about him now. He likes math. Imagine getting a math problem for homework and then spending four hours describing in gory detail how difficult the problem is. And it's so hard and it's just impossible. All the while, your math textbook sits there unopened. And if you have kids, you may relate to that. But just imagine that. You have this math problem and you spend all of this time just, oh, it's so hard, it's so difficult, how am I going to solve it? It's such a problem. And there your math book sits completely unopened. See, instead of being fixated and spending so much time on complaining about the problem, it would probably make more sense to get into the book and find the solution. Well, we as the church need to stop being so fixated on the problems of the world and we need to get into God's book and we need to find the solutions. We are not called to merely identify problems. We are called to be those that bring solutions. See, when Christ identifies a problem for us in scripture, it is only done so that we are prepared to go deeper with him and find the solution. And the solution to all of the world's problems, all of the difficult times, all of those things is this. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. His solution is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the sea, would cover the earth as the water covers the seas. His solution is that the kingdom would grow like a mustard seed, becoming the largest tree in the garden. Or that it would be like leaven that permeates throughout the entire dough. His solution is that we would arise and shine because our light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon his people. See, if we quote verses about the difficult times of the last days, that's fine. 
but we had better then quote the incredible verses about God's solution. See, what do we do with a verse like Isaiah 2.2? It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. See, this is the solution to the problem of the difficult times of the last days. It's for Christ's church to arise and be the source of bringing God's solutions. See, yes, Christ did say that there would be difficult times. There always have been. I'm not downplaying the evil in our society. We all recognize that Satan is like an injured animal that's thrashing out. He had his head crushed, and it's being crushed under the church even today. Yet, what I can't seem to get away from, and what I can't help to think about, is that when Christ was telling his disciples that he would build his church and the gates of Hades wouldn't prevail, he and his disciples were probably staring at temples where there was worship to Caesar. They were potentially staring at human sacrifices taking place. They were potentially staring at lewd acts between goats and humans. See, Christ did not take his disciples to the safety of the temple to teach them on how he would build the church while tearing down the strongholds of Satan, he took them to a stronghold of Satan. He showed them the very rock and the very gates of Hades and said, this is where I'm going to build my church. See, I don't believe any verse about the difficulties that the world would face has the final word. I believe the final word comes from Jesus and what he can do through his church if we will rise up to become what God created us to be and if we will do what he has called us to do. Now, what these verses are clearly teaching and what we must understand is that true transformation in our neighborhoods, our communities, and our world will not come solely from inside the four walls of this building. Now, lest anyone misunderstand me, I am not downplaying the importance of what we do here. Coming together as a body is vital if we are going to fulfill these verses if we are going to do what God has called us to do. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. It really is. Who else Sunday is your favorite day of the week? You're all guilted into saying that. Some of you like Saturday. I know it. Don't lie. Sunday is the best day of the week. So we must gather together. We must come together. But we must understand the reason why we meet. Why do we meet here? Well, to answer that, we must understand the purpose of the Sunday morning service. Why do we do this? Here's the thing. I would liken the church building to our headquarters. So we come together as a body. We praise the name of Jesus corporately. We encourage one another. We lift each other up in prayer. We bring our giftings and our talents for God to use. We get equipped and filled with the Spirit, and we strategize as one body so that we can go forth during the week to tear down the strongholds of Satan in our world. See, it's like a huddle in football. The team, they huddle up, they get together, they know what the play is so that they're all on the same page. So that's one of the most important things about a Sunday morning service is we come together so that we're all on the same page, moving together in unity and in unison. So we must continue to meet like this as a body so that we are all moving together in one direction. But we must understand that what we do here on Sunday mornings, what we do on Wednesday evenings is preparation for us to go out the rest of the week into the places where the strongholds of hell exist and we take the battle to them. 
We take the battle to them. If the worship team wants to come on up and start preparing. See, the church has become highly defensive, but if we want to change the world and truly impact our community, then we have to go on the offensive. We must get outside of the building and be the church seven days a week, 365 days a year. And 2024 is a leap year. We have an entire extra day to make an impact. All right, we need to make a greater impact. We got an extra day. If we want to impact society, we must go into that society and take the kingdom to it. We are the church and we must be the church everywhere we go, at our jobs, at school, at the stores, at the gym, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. See, every person here is a full-time minister of the gospel. See, the day you said yes to Jesus is the day that you were called into full-time ministry. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be a pastor or a missionary, an evangelist, or any of those things. The world doesn't need everyone to be pastors. Rather, we need spirit-filled teachers and lawyers and electricians and construction workers and doctors and cashiers and scientists and stay-at-home moms and politicians. Oh, Lord, how we need some of them. Everything else. Because the gospel of the kingdom is like leaven that is to permeate through the entire batch of dough. And the only way we can permeate the entire batch of dough is for us to be spirit-filled, kingdom-advancing believers throughout every segment of our communities. To defeat the gates of Hades, we need to identify them and go confront them. So you can only conquer what you are willing to confront, and you will never conquer what you are unwilling to confront. Now let me make a note there. We are called to confront, not be confrontational. There's a big difference between the two. Confronting is dealing with the problem to bring resolution. Being confrontational is simply looking to pick a fight. So we're called to confront, not be confrontational. But we must confront the enemy, every stronghold that we can identify, whether in our personal lives. Man, you have overwhelming victory through Jesus this morning. If there's anything you've struggled with in your life in 2023, a sin issue, anything else, you have overwhelming victory through Christ. Confront it this morning and say, I'm not carrying that thing into 2024. He's given you the victory. We must confront the strongholds in our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools, our places of employment. So this starts with prayer. Holy Spirit empowerment, and then boldness, taking risk and stepping out. See, in 2024, we must pray like we've never prayed before, and then we must get out of this building and start confronting the darkness. See, I liken prayer for our neighborhoods and our communities to air support. So if you look at a war and you look at battles that take place, what you typically will see is that the air support comes in and it prepares the way for the ground attack. See, the reason there's a stalemate right now in Ukraine is because neither Ukraine nor Russia has air superiority. So in a battle, there is air superiority. I liken prayer to air superiority. You pray and you prepare for the troops to then go in. So we need to pray for our communities like we've never prayed before. And then we need to get ourselves out into them with the message of Christ. See, this world will never be changed by the church's good intentions It will be changed when we step out in the power and the love of Christ each and every day. Your every day is your mission field. 
Your every day is your mission field. See, that is an amazing truth to recognize because if we treat every day as an opportunity to impact eternity, then every day can potentially be one of true purpose. Even those Monday mornings where you just feel blah. See, if we are willing to confront the gates of Hades, then Christ is willing to conquer them through us, through his church. Do we believe that this morning, Bethel? Come on, do we believe Christ's words? Everything in the kingdom is received by faith. So we must first believe and then step out. I'm of the opinion, and I will put this out there, that this is an opinion of mine, but I am of the opinion that much of the darkness in the world today is due to the fact that much of the church has been taught to believe that it must be that way. Told you it was an opinion, but I think it's biblical. But I am fully of the opinion that much of the darkness that exists in this world today is not some sort of prophetic fulfillment, but rather it exists because so much of the church has been taught to believe it's supposed to. Man, I pray that what we saw today inspires faith in us that this does not have to be so. Jesus took his disciples to one of the most demonic, horrific places that existed in their culture to prove a point that his church would overcome even the worst and the darkest. And if you notice today, guess what? Christ and his church continue to grow and expand while the rock of the gods, those gates of Hades that was once a stronghold of idol worship is no longer there. Come on. The very thing that Christ said would happen, happened. His church continues to grow and expand and that very demonic stronghold fell apart and it no longer exists. See, I would like to declare to you this morning that the gates of Hades will never prevail against the universal church and they will never prevail against this church. Satan is a defeated enemy. We are a victorious people serving a victorious God, comprising a victorious church victory. Come on, I've been asking the Lord to give me words for 2024, and every time I do, he says victory. Victorious. We are victorious people through Christ. The gates of Hades will not prevail against us. And I believe in 2024, there are some rocks and there are some strongholds of hell in our community and region that are gonna come tumbling down because Bethel is gonna rise up and shine brighter than this church has ever shown before. The greatest days of this church are directly in front of us because we serve a God who said he would build and expand his church. And if we rise up and we step out, we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will see his kingdom come and his will be done in our region, even as it is in heaven. This is the call on Bethel Assembly of God, and this is where we desire to go in 2024. So here's how I'd like to end today. I'd like to spend just a few moments with prayer for Littlestown and the surrounding communities. And then we wanna pray over each and every one of you. See, I believe every person that calls this place home is called to play their part through prayer and action. As I said, we need to pray for our communities like we never have before. And not little wimpy prayers, but bold declarations and bold prayers because the church is rising up to take the kingdom forward into our community. And we also need to be a people of action, willing to get involved in the life of our communities. We must look for the opportunities in our everyday lives to slow down and listen as you go about your day 
and then step out when you feel that nudge from the Spirit. As individuals and as a corporate body, let's dream for how God can transform our communities. And let's pray and ask God to show us the strongholds that we need to confront. And let's be bold in the coming year and letting people know that they should be here with us. Let's ask God for divine strategies for how we can reach out in new ways. We don't just wanna regurgitate things of the past or what other churches are doing. We wanna hear God's fresh word for this church in this place. If you wanna go ahead and stand to your feet. some exciting times for the church and for this church. I believe 2024 is going to be a radical year of growth and impact if we all work together as his body and play our part that he has called each of us to. So next week with the first Sunday of 2024, we are going to kick off a sermon series in the book of Acts. We're gonna spend a lot of time in the book of Acts in this coming year. And we're gonna jump into the new year seeing how Acts was never intended to be a history lesson, but rather a picture of what any church can be when they walk with the Holy Spirit. And I am believing that as we look at these things, we are gonna see a radical outpouring of the Holy Spirit that empowers us and takes us deeper into all that God has for us and for this community. All right, you wanna be here next week, all right? Because next week, we are gonna unveil Bethel's new mission statement. All right, how many people are excited for that? Not saying there's anything wrong with the old mission statement, but this is a new season. And with a new season, you have a new mission from God. And so we have been spending time as a pastoral staff pressing in to hear what the Lord is saying. And so next week during the sermon, we will unveil Bethel's new mission statement. You don't wanna miss it. I'm so excited for this coming year. I'm so excited for what God is going to do because I cannot wait to just serve alongside of you and see the incredible impact God's gonna make in 2024. It's gonna be an exciting year. If you could go ahead and just put your hands out before the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. You are so good. We stand here as a united body saying we are your church. And Father, we say, send us out to the rocks, the strongholds and the gates of Hades in our community. And Lord, may we tear them down with the love, the power, the authority of Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray for our community right now. We pray for Littlestown and the surrounding communities, every community that is represented by a person here, this entire region. And we pray, Lord, in 2024, you would use this church to tear down the strongholds of the enemy, that you would use this church to shine light into every place of darkness, that we would shine forth, Lord, illuminating those things for you. And we pray, God, that we would see a year of radical growth and radical impact in you. And so, Lord, as we press into the book of Acts, we pray for Holy Spirit outpouring in this place, that you would fill us over and over and over again and empower us and send us out into this community to make a massive impact for you. And so we submit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you. 
We know you are going to do amazing things through it all. One thing, may the name of Jesus be glorified. Not the name of any individual, no pastor, no church, but may the name of Jesus be exalted and glorified in Littlestown and the surrounding region. For the glory of your name, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. All right, so hang tight with me for a minute here. There's one more thing we're gonna do today. And do we have any of the ushers? Could we go ahead and get those middle doors propped open a while? All right, so here's how we wanna end this service and the last service of 2023. When the pastors met in staff meeting, I just had this thing where I'm like, man, I just wanna pray for every single person at the church. And they were all like, yeah, we'd love to pray for every person at the church. That's great. So that is what we're gonna do today. The pastors and the staff, we would just love the opportunity to pray over every single one of you. And so we're gonna do that this morning with a fire tunnel. All right? Now, some of you may be like, what the heck are you talking about? Am I allowed to say heck? Am I allowed to do that? All right. You're saying, what is that? Okay, well, maybe you've heard of a prayer line, right? So a fire tunnel is just a prayer line, but better. All right, so it's just sort of a prayer line on both sides so that when the Holy Spirit just shows up and it just gets all captured in there and there's nowhere for it to go, but to get you really good. So what we wanna do this morning, in a second, I'm gonna have all the pastors, if they can go just kind of line up, their spouses as well. If you can just line up at those back doors, we're gonna invite every single one of you to just walk through our fire tunnel. And so this may be some organized chaos. And so if this is just chaotic, just forgive me. You know, I love you. And so, you know, we'll just roll with it. But here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have all of our pastors line up where those doors are on each side. And then we are gonna just invite all of you to just kind of work your way. And we can do it row by row so it's not so crazy to just sort of come here, come to this center aisle. And then if you just wanna walk right back through this aisle here, And just let us as a pastoral staff just lay hands on you and pray for you, each and every one. We're just believing God is gonna do some amazing things right now. He's gonna pour out his spirit. As you walk through there, the fire of the Holy Ghost is just gonna grab a hold of you. You may need healing in your body. You just receive that. You may need a touch in your finances. You just receive that. Now, if you wanna take your stuff with you and you just wanna go and just keep riding on into the sunset, that is perfectly okay. If you just want to hang around for a little bit, oh man, it's getting good here now. You can just kind of come back in through one of the side doors and grab your stuff, hang out, fellowship a little bit. But we just want the opportunity as a pastoral staff to pray over all of you this morning. So do I have an usher that can just kind of help? Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.